turn to Habakkuk, as we continue our series today, Habakkuk, questioning God, question mark, is it appropriate to give our questions to God and Habakkuk and many other folks in the Bible, let us know that yes it is, with the right attitude, not all of those saints in our scriptures, I think, had the right attitude. But I think, from what I can tell of Habakkuk here, that even though you know, some of what he says may almost sound like a complaint, I believe that Habakkuk does show a true spirit of what a heart attitude should be in asking the questions that he does, because he literally can't make sense of what's going on around him. So he goes to God and asks God for help with these things. We will see the Lord responds again yet a second time today. Man's Habakkuk, what to do, and then gives this wonderful expression, this phrase that resounds throughout our old throughout our scriptures. Uh, the result of faith. And so remember at the beginning of the book, Habakkuk had expressed his concerns about the people's wickedness, and he was fed up with it, you could say, and he prayed, and, and he, he was talking to the Lord, asking the Lord to deal with it, but then when God expressed how he was going to deal with it, then Habakkuk was even more concerned, and then his question was, amongst others, how could a pure and righteous God allow a wicked and arrogant enemy, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, to come, arrogant, prideful, and subdue God's righteous people, the people that had a covenant relationship with God. We'll talk more about that word righteous in a few minutes. And Habakkuk had other questions too. He left them before the Lord, though, and what was his ultimate response? Do you remember? To go to the watchtower and to wait. The watchtower, in this instance, in his heart, the watchtower was a place um, where the uh, soldiers, a specially assigned soldier, would go and look out for the enemy or for any threats and immediately let the, the armies and the general, the king, know what was going on. And Habakkuk said, I'm going to do this in my heart and wait for God in his timing. Now, we can, we can certainly understand Habakkuk's concerns, can't we? You think about what would happen if God told us today that he was going to allow North Korea or Iran or China, or a number of other nations that we have deep concerns about. Um, terrorist, a terrorist group in the Middle East, and he said that he was going to use these cruel people to bring judgment upon his own people. Folks, we have the same concern. We'd be bothered just as much as Habakkuk would. At the same time, though, God uses other things, doesn't he? Wicked rulers that even in our own country, that seem to despise God and have little use for him. It's difficult, even in our own country, to be under those that seem to just ignore God's principles and standards. And it's frustrating for us. Lord, how could you allow these people to be in leadership in our nation from the highest office on down? How could you allow this to take place? Um, and we could go on and on with that, even in our personal lives. Maybe you have an employer that doesn't treat people the way that he should, or she. 
Maybe they are downright rude and, and arrogant and um, evil in, in the way that they respond. Lord, why would you allow this to happen? We can continue this. We, we understand when God allows these types of people into our lives, it's hard, it's difficult. What must we do? Just like Habakkuk did. Continue to serve faithfully. Trust. Trust God. That, and, and God is going to emphasize today in this passage, as we look at Habakkuk 2, 2 through 5, just a few verses, that those that are his, that's how we operate. That's what we do, is trust in God when things around us just don't make sense. And we can't explain them. And sometimes we can't even match them up with our understanding of God's word. We still have faith and trust in him. God did answer Habakkuk in his own timing. And he gave him an assignment. And he gave him truth that was the main answer to what the prophet needed. God didn't answer all of Habakkuk's questions, but he did give him the truth that he needed to continue on. And God will make one of the most crucial statements in the Bible about the necessity of faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Father, thank you for the beauty of that phrase. It is true that all of your people live because of the work that Christ has done. And our faith and dependence on that work. <clears throat> Not through anything that we've done, but our dependence, our faith in what Jesus has done. The righteous truly live by faith. Thank you that this is the ultimate answer to all the questions that we have. That regardless of what's going on around us, the most important thing is that we have relation with Jesus Christ. That he, we have trusted him as our Savior. And Lord, we'll see even... In the second service, the ramifications of this phrase in the New Testament. and Go deeper and see what Jesus has done. But thank you that you've made it so clear that we just need to trust in you. Lord, even as we look through these few verses today, help us to be reminded. Whatever anyone in this uh, congregation this morning is facing, the difficulties, the struggles, the griefs, Help us to remember to continue to trust in you and wait for you to move. At the same time, continuing to serve you faithfully in whatever capacity that you've given us to do. And wait in the watchtowers of our hearts. The Lord, let us be instructed and encouraged by these verses this morning. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I think that Habakkuk was not quite demanding an answer from God, but he was frustrated. And as we've seen in the passages so far, that 
as all these things were going on, God's people were wicked. And then God said, well, I'm going to send these cruel Babylonians to um, punish and to subdue my people. And Habakkuk says, well, God, how can you allow um, those types of people to um, judge your righteous people? And he wants answers almost immediately. He wants God, but yet he's willing to wait for it. Well, God will answer now, as we see in verse 2. And in his appointed time, he does give Habakkuk the answer that he needs. And first of all, he wants to make clear that God, that he will judge the wicked in his own certain timing. That God will never allow the proud and arrogant enemy to stand. That he will eventually deal with that enemy, but it will be on his terms and his timing and not our own. And that's a hard lesson, isn't it, sometimes for us? We want it dealt with now. Get this irritation out of my life, Lord. God says, you wait on my time. Because my character and my promises can be trusted. So God, in the second response, he tells the prophet to do something. The Lord did answer Habakkuk in his time. As Habakkuk is waiting, God didn't leave him hanging, as we say today. But here's the command, write the vision. And Habakkuk was certainly familiar with this. Prophets did a lot of writing. Remember how Jeremiah did some writing and gave it to King Jehoiakim and was torn up? That was a, that was a piece of work. That was a lot of energy put into that. And God says, Habakkuk, you write what I'm about to tell you, the vision or the revelation that I'm about to give you. What was this revelation going to be? Well, it could very well have been the whole content of this book. And, and God is saying, I, I want you to write all of this down for my people and make it plain on tablets. That's interesting here. The material that that is described by these tablets, we really don't know what it was for sure. Um, it is the Hebrew word for the same type of stone tablets that was used for the Ten Commandments. But as we continue to read here, um, if it, it, the Ten Commandments were originally ten words in Hebrew, okay? there's a lot more words here that God is calling um, Habakkuk to write. It's hard to imagine he could fit all this on a couple tablets. And then also he says as well, make sure you write it clearly in large print. Make it plain on tablets. That even one, the end of that verse there, so that he may run who reads it. That's an interesting uh, translation. There's some translation difficulties with the Hebrew here. ASV says, so he may run who reads it. And it's really quite simple. What God is saying here is that he's saying, Habakkuk, make it large enough, make it clear enough that even the person that's running by can see it and understand it. Not unlike a billboard that we have today. He says, Habakkuk, make it that clear so that whoever, all of my people, no matter what they're doing, will be able to understand what I'm saying. So whatever Habakkuk was writing on, he's to make it clear in plain, because God has a very important message. Write my words so they can be clearly read by all of my people. Here is the response that you were waiting for and asking for, Habakkuk. You can trust 
that in my character, in my promises, that I will make it clear in my time. And God's sovereignty in times of trouble must also be trusted. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God is telling first thing you need to write back is tell my people, and you need to hear this as well. Be patient. Wait on my timing. Be long-suffering. The prophet must wait patiently for God's revealed word. It will be revealed in God's appointed time. So here's the start of my message, Habakkuk. Be patient and wait for the full revelation that I will eventually give. In the midst of these cruel, of this cruel enemy that's about to subdue the people, you wait. You be patient. Patience is a virtue, right? Folks, it's one that God expects from his servants, certainly from all of us. We don't really like patience in our world today. We get frustrated when our fast food menu, when we <laughs> order something and it doesn't come out within a couple minutes, right? Or somebody else gets ahead of us in line, or we order something on Amazon and it doesn't get there the next day like they promised. We don't do patience very well. This is a good message for us today as well. That's why God is one of the first things that he has Habakkuk right here, to wait the superiority of this arrogant people, the Babylonians, God reminds Habakkuk, and he encourages him, yes, Habakkuk, this will not last forever. Remember, Habakkuk asked that question, are you going to let this cruel people subdue us forever? How long, O oh Lord? God says, it's not going to be forever. It will hasten. It will have an end. But be patient. Judgment for Judah's sin would be coming soon in the form of the Chaldeans. But God would not leave them underneath the boot of this arrogant people. We know in world history that God's punishment for the Babylonians would take another at least 45 years. And so God is calling Habakkuk to really to trust him. That in the delay of judgment, because it says, when it says here, for still the vision or the revelation awaits its appointed time. The revelation here is that God will judge those proud Babylonians, Chaldeans. It will happen. It will hasten to the hasten to the end. It will not lie. You can count on it. There will be an end to the persecution of these cruel peoples. Habakkuk, but you trust me. I do not lie. My revelations, my, my witness, my truth does not lie. It will happen. I will do what I promise. Sometimes it may feel tedious. The wait seems long. If it seems slow, wait for it. That's our hardest thing today, is waiting for God to work and to move. God, by the way, has given us his full revelation now in scriptures. But folks, we can understand maybe a little bit of uh, Habakkuk's impatience, but we have it all now. Whatever we want and we need to go to God's word on a regular basis and know everything that he expects from us in his sovereign plan, there is no reason for us to be impatient. 
it's hard to wait. It can grate on us. It's tedious. But God says, wait for it. It will surely come. You trust me, Habakkuk. It will not delay. According to my perspective, God says it will not be delayed. You may think that it will be delayed, but it will not. No one can pause or delay God's appointed revelation and action. This one scholar said this. The prophet's humanity demanded that God provide a warning about impatience. One even more important to people living in the exhausting pace of modern society. Whether in prayer or in prophecy, contemporary worshipers demand that God act according to their dizzying schedule of those pressed for time. God reminded the prophet of the certainty of the message without the promise of meeting Habakkuk's time schedule. I don't know about you, but I will just admit to you that one of the most frustrating things in my life is when I have set a certain list of priorities, things that are truly important, you know, ministry, time of family, and, and responsibilities are, are all important. And you know this, you're just like me. I don't know if you get quite as irritated as I do or frustrated, but you've got your own list of priorities. And little interruptions come seemingly all the time. Now, I'm not just talking about kids, but let's just be clear on that. But interruptions of all kinds that I wasn't expecting. And things, and it's not just one, but maybe sometimes it's two or three, or maybe it's five right in a row. And I'm like, really? Lord, I've got ministry to do here. I can't deal with all these interruptions. I don't have time for this. I can't get to the things I want to do. And I am tempted at those times, and sometimes I fall prey to that, is to get angry and irritated. Because I've got priorities, and I don't want them interrupted. I don't want them delayed. Folks, we can all understand that, and that's why God tells us that we need to learn patience. But at the same time, do you realize that God never has interruptions in his time schedule? He doesn't have anything. When God says something's going to happen, nothing will keep that from happening. It will happen exactly when he says that it will happen. And there's no frustrations or no pauses or, or delays that can stop God's time schedule from going on to the minute, to the second. We can be confident in that. God will judge the proud, secondly, but sustain the righteous. Even while God's enemies rejoice in opposition to his people. Look at this verse 4. Behold his soul. That's the soul of the enemy. That's the Babylonians. But it could be in a general sense. The enemies of God. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And God now begins this important message. That he's told Habakkuk to wait for. And Habakkuk is to write clearly. This is the greatest concern the prophet has expressed. Would God leave his people at the hands of these really terrorists without mercy or judgment upon them for their evil and cruelty? God says here, their soul is puffed up. They think that they're in control of everything, but it is not right within them. God makes it clear. The pride and arrogance of my enemies, of God's enemies, will be dealt with in his own time. Sufficiency, self-sufficiency, folks, and false worship lead to death. It is not upright within him. The contrast to that is living, and therefore the, but the righteous shall live by faith. That means that in contrast, the wicked will not experience life, real life, eternal life. 
and their in in the in the um, satisfaction of their self sufficiency and their worship of their own power. God says these are the seeds of their very death and destruction. So Habakkuk, don't you worry; it will come. It can't help but come. But in the meantime, to my people, you have faith in me. Trust me for salvation. The righteous shall live by his faith. We need to we need to unpack what it means to be righteous here. Because we tend to read this and then read, and we'll see in the next service the um the deeper applications of this truth in the New Testament. But we tend to take the New Testament and then look through that lens and look back at this verse. But what God is saying here is a more general principle about the righteous in this context of the Old Testament is those that are faithful to God's covenant with his people. They're faithful, committed servants to Yahweh. And God says like Habakkuk, and even as Habakkuk is mentioning the righteous, maybe we kind of smirk because he's just described these people, God's people, with all these sins and all this wickedness. And we say, how could they be called righteous? And maybe perhaps I think Habakkuk is saying, well, we're more righteous than those ungodly Chaldeans or whatever you call them. But I think Habakkuk's also recognizing that within the wickedness of God's people, there are people like himself that are truly committed and faithful servants that are committed to him. Habakkuk is one of them. Remember Elijah, when he thought he was the only one. God said, no, Elijah, there's plenty more. Plenty more righteous people. You remember, this is still considered the Old Testament time period, if I can put it that way. Even though it's in Luke, before Jesus was born, Zechariah. And Elizabeth are described as righteous. What does that mean? Does that mean that, how can they be described as righteous when Jesus hadn't yet died on the cross and hadn't yet uh, rose from the dead? And, and we'll talk about this in the next service, but that righteousness that we think of, of Jesus imparted righteousness to us so that we can be truly righteous. How can Zachariah be called righteous if that hasn't happened yet? Well, in the Old Testament, this righteousness was the faithful, serp, committed servant to God that didn't do everything right, but they were committed to him. That's what is described here in this verse. And God says, those people that are committed to me, you know this, Habakkuk, but the main, um, the main characteristic of those people is that they, they have faith, they trust in me. They trust in me even when it's hard to do so, even when it's difficult, even when the circumstances around them um, are confusing and mysterious. Habakkuk, the righteous, put their faith not in themselves and not in self-worship like the Babylonians do, but in me. And the righteous will experience salvation by his faith. Now, we'll, that will go into a deeper sense in um, the New Testament. And, of course, as we know, that one can only live faithfully through God's work in his life. Even back in the description of Abraham, Abraham had faith in what God called him to do. 
And God said it counted him as righteousness. God's work in these people allowed them to be righteous. And there is that understanding here as well. But the general principle is that God's people have to trust him and to live by faith. It's the only way. They are in contrast to the arrogant enemy who trusts in himself. And that enemy won't be victorious forever. Here's another aspect uh, from one scholar that I like about faithfulness and faith. Faithfulness here means trust, dependence, clinging to God. It means living and moving and having one's being in him alone. It means relying on him for the breath one draws, for the direction one takes, of the decisions one makes, for the goals one sets, and for the outcome of one's living. Faithfulness, faith means placing one's whole life in God's hands and trusting him to fulfill it, despite all outward and inward circumstances. Faithfulness is life by God's power rather than one's own. And that's how we live. That's how we operate, folks, is by total trust and dependency, not in our own strength like the enemy does, but in God, holy and, 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 and relying on him as our all-sufficient creator. That's how God's people live in faith and trust. Well, God will continue in verse 5 to give a further description of the enemy whose days are numbered. God has already made it clear to them back here. Even as I describe the enemy further, their days are numbered. But they're still arrogant, and that's why they need to be dealt with. In fact, you think about this. In the description that I've given so far of the Babylonians, what's the most off-putting, uh, galling part of their behavior? Is it the fact that they're cruel? Well, they certainly were cruel people. Is it the fact that they are as successful in all that they do? Well, that's galling too. But I think you would maybe agree with me that the most galling thing is their arrogance and pride. We folks, we hate it, not to be too strong here, but we hate to see evil happen and people get away with it and be arrogant and flaunt it. The flaunting of it is what really bothers us. And yet God reminds us we shouldn't be surprised by that. Their arrogant confidence and self-assuredness causes them to worship their own ingenuity and might. But their own pride will be the fatal downfall of their success. That's what's described here in verse 5. The first part of 5 has some translation issues that are interesting. And as, as much, and I read the ESV, although I don't like this translation, even as much as the NASB or the King James, this is why. As you read, moreover, wine is a traitor. It seems like to this translation that the rest of the verse then is describing wine. Wine is a traitor. It's an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. And by the time you get to the end of the verse, you're realizing this can't be talking about just an alcoholic beverage. It's got to be talking about a person or a group of people. But it's not made clear. I like the way that the NASB and King James and, and some other versions do this as well. I have the Nazby here. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. And then it goes into his greed is as wide as Sheol. That idea of wine. Now, it is true that the Babylonians, from what we can tell from history, love their wine and love to be drunk most of the time. 
how they were able to be so cruel. Uh, and God may be describing them in this way. But wine could also be a more general description at this time um, as a sign of success. Um, that, that, that wine was a symbol of the enjoyment of victorious success in the lives of people. So not just wine, but just their enjoying their success and their glibness and their flaunting about it. God says their confidence in their success will betray them. Does that make sense? It won't last forever. It's the seeds of their downfall is their own arrogance, really. And right now, they're, and they're going to have success, Habakkuk, but not forever. Because listen to the pride, an arrogant man who is never at rest. He is always looking for the next conquest, as God has described them. Never satisfied, always looking for more. His greed is as wide as Sheol. We've heard even modern day authors talk about how the grave is a never-ending mouth and consumes and is never satisfied, right? It's always hungry. That's what's described here. His greed is as wide. He's never able to be sustained as the grave. Like death, he never has enough. He always wants more. He never feels full. And then this final description, he gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. A cruel enemy, enemy collects nations and collects peoples like museum exhibits. Look at what I did this week. Look at this people. Put them on the shelf here behind a glass casing. Ha ha. I'm, I'm the victor here. And he loves to do that. And God says, yet Habakkuk, his time is coming because of his arrogance. In other words, they would not be able to keep their collections forever. They would give them back up at some point. I had a friend of mine who was showing me, you know, he had um, his basement. He called his... Uh, his dad's den, his man's cave, whatever. And he had been collecting these Hot Wheels cars, um, these metal cars, the, the, the old ones that were actually still made of metal, uh, Hot Wheels, and, and um, I forget the other, the other name of the other one right now, Matchbox cars. And, and they looked really impressive. They were nice colors, and he kept them in the box so they were pristine. And he told me, he said, my kids know that if they come down here, they're not ever to touch those because they're part of my collection very important to and you know i did I, I thought well we'll see how long that lasts <laughs> and i don't know if he was able to keep up with that or not but here was something that a man said here's what here's what's important to me this is something that i want to keep nice and i want to keep um in a way to have people view but nobody to touch because they're mine but folks no matter what collection we have sooner or later after we die we're going to give those things up they're not ours forever and the same here that God reminds Habakkuk, these powerful nations won't be able to retain their collections forever. At some time, God will require it of them, and they will meet their end. How long would it take Babylon to eventually fall to the great, to the powerful nation of Persia? Like I said, it would be at least 45, 50 years in 538 B.C., but God is reminding Habakkuk that their time will come and you wait for it. You trust 
Arrogance, false worship, and self-reliance, folks, will never achieve lasting success. We think, America, Americans think that that's the way to achieve final success. But that's not the case. That's a false doctrine. God makes that clear here. What achieves lasting eternal success? Well, simply put, those who trust in God. That's our success. Submit to his ways. And we will find everlasting life. And we're going to see in the next service, the New Testament is going to delve deeper into that. And in a much fuller way, explain that those who trust by faith will have righteousness. And we will even be able to glory in that truth even more. But folks, if you're discouraged today by seeing wickedness around you, and people and arrogance that are not being dealt with. Just remember, God will have a day where all will be subject, will be held accountable to him. And our job, first of all, is to make sure that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith so that we are accounted righteous. And then proclaim the need for faith in Christ to a world that needs to hear that before they're held accountable before God. And they find out that what they had their confidence in isn't enough. And they face eternal destruction forever. Let's proclaim the just, the righteous live by faith. Father, thank you. Beautiful truth. But Lord, it's hard sometimes. We admit that. Because as we look around us and we face difficulties and we face hardships and we face wicked rulers and we face cruel enemy nations around the world, we see these things. It can be daunting. It can be intimidating. Lord, we can be tempted to fear. But help us in the midst of all these things to confidently trust, depend, depend upon you as your people. Knowing that this, that this will have an end, that all will be judged. Only those with a relationship with Christ will live forever with you. Help us to proclaim the just shall live by faith. Draw people to yourself through that gospel message. Help us to stay true and faithful to you, trusting in you, not depending on ourselves, but depending entirely on you. Knowing that your work will be done, even though sometimes it's mysterious to us. And that your plan will go through without delay. That no one will be able to hinder. That we can trust in and depend upon, and we do. So help us to be encouraged by that today. And enjoy our fellowship and enjoy our time with the brethren in our relationship with Christ, the just that we have, that just relationship that we have to let's enjoy our time together here as well. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.